Hi, I'm Jeanette. And I'm Zeke, and welcome to another episode of Oh My Geekers. This week, Dad and I chatted with a guy who has traveled to Israel over 50 times. Oh, my geekers, over 50 times? Yes. Bob is a pastor here in Southern California, and he loves the nation of Israel. So sit down and enjoy. All right, today we're joined by Pastor Bob, and he is on staff at the Packing House uh, in Redlands, California. Uh, Bob, are you there? I am. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, Zeke is also here with us. Hello. Oh, hi. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. All right. Good. Glad to hear that. And we just became acquainted with uh, Bob a, a couple weeks ago, and he is a huge uh, fan of Israel and um, yeah, I am. The, the people of Israel. He's been there how many times, Bob? 56. Wow. Oh. That's amazing. Yeah. Started in uh, 75, backpacking. And then I, I, you know, as a Christian, I wanted everybody to be able to go and see the Bible where it happened. We, we read about it, and it can almost take on a fairy tale like quality, you know, David and Goliath and Jack and the Beanstalk. But once you get there, the fairy tale goes away. The reality really sinks in. What, what is your favorite uh, part of, of Israel? I know you, you lead uh, some, you know, Tour, tour groups there? Yeah, take tour groups there, um, just to show them around. I have several favorite spots, and probably my number one favorite is the Garden Tomb, of course. Oh, yeah. We we don't know that, I mean, <clears throat> nobody's there gonna, is going to claim and say, this is the spot, this is the only spot, but uh, it's the spot that fits a first century tomb, it's the spot that matches up with everything in the Gospels in the New Testament. And uh, the important thing is, he's not there. He's risen. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're not there to see a dead body or to look at a grave. We're there to celebrate the risen Lord. So that's what makes that spot special. It's a fun place to just go worship and think about the Resurrection Day. It's, it's like Easter every day, that place. Yeah, do you, do you feel like that's one of probably the most impactful for the the groups that you go with? That, and uh, I see a lot of impact, too, with the Sea of Galilee. Mm, yeah. People love being on the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. That's where 70% of Jesus' ministry took place. Remember, he was working out of um, Capernaum there, and for three years that was his headquarters. When, when you go there, what... Um... Obviously, you're going with a, a, a church group. Um, one of the um, I, I I went several years ago now. I think it was back in 2005, and I know one of the um, concerns with my family um, was safety. Right. And that they were they were especially um, I believe my my grandmother was a little apprehensive about me going, and there was some things in the news at the time, but. Uh, how, how, if you could speak about kind of the safety, if there is anyone listening that might be yeah. either praying about, you know, going on a trip or has always wanted to, but maybe that's been something that has sure. um, concerned, yeah, been of a concern to them. Yeah. You know, those, that's one of the two main questions people ask me when I say you need to go to Israel. And the first question is always, well, isn't it dangerous over there? Right. 
<clears throat> and I know the first time I went, even my dad said, what are you crazy or something? Don't you know there's a war going on? And, uh, honestly, I've never felt safer anywhere in the world. Everybody in Israel goes into the military when they're 18 guys for three years, girls for two. Everybody's trained. Everybody has a rank. And even if there's a problem somewhere, they immediately find out who's the ranking person. Everything's organized. They're very watchful and careful of tourists because this is the greatest income in the country. And we want to make sure they keep coming. So very safe. Second question they always ask me is, well, isn't it expensive? And my response to that is, you know, if God wants you there, he'll provide. And sometimes we have not because we ask not, and people don't even bother asking about it because they just figure it's too expensive. But if you if you look at it educationally, Chuck Smith used to say, you know, a, a two-week trip in Israel is the same as a year in Bible college. And if you <clears throat> figure out, you know, what you would pay for a year in a Bible college, especially one of the big colleges these days, you're going to spend $40,000. So I say save 38000 and go to Israel. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with you yeah. as far as the, the safety goes. I know that um, when I was there, I, I, did, I did at first um, uh, was a little nervous only because um, – there, there. I think that week there was um, actually. I think while we were in the air, the uh, the attacks had happened in London. Yeah. And so uh, when we had our layover there, it was a little tense. Oh my! But once yeah. you got into Israel, um, it, it, you you did have this sense that uh, you were safe. Kind of everywhere everywhere you went, there. Um, yeah. There was security, or there was. Uh, whether you know you could see it or not, you just sensed that everything was going to be okay, and that um, and that they did really um, value you know uh, you as a visitor. Yeah, you know that you that you were welcome, and and everyone was inviting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, like I said, <clears throat> it's it's kind of like you you feel the peace because you know you're you're in Israel, you're at your spiritual home, and definitely peaceful there and they do watch over you and and like you say you don't always see them they're very careful with that but they you're taken care of you just know that and there you know it's like any place else there are places that aren't always safe but on a tour group especially we're not going to take you any of those places the tour guide the tour guides and the bus drivers are all in communication with each other all the time and I know for a fact that one time I was there and a kid threw an orange at a bus in Nazareth. Uh -oh. The entire country knew within five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> well, because they all get on the line and go, okay, there's somebody threw something at a bus. It was right here. You don't want to go by there. The other buses won't go there. And then it's kind of like the neighborhood gets punished in a sense mm. because, okay, we're going to remove tourism from this area. If you can't control the kids mm. here and you don't right. want the tourism, fine, we won't come. Right. And so it's kind of self-policing. They, you know, will all watch out for the kids because the income is good from tourism and we don't want to mess that up. What's the most unusual thing that's happened to you in Israel? 
the most unusual was probably during my first trip. I was backpacking again with another guy, and we were in a place called Nablus. That's the modern name for the ancient Shechem. Remember, Shechem was where um, Joshua brought the children of Israel. They were between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and they were pronouncing the blessings and the cursings. It's also the place where Jacob's well is and the place where they brought Joseph back from Egypt to be buried. So we're, we're up there wandering around, and it's getting late. And since we're backpacking and everything, you know, we, we get to the tomb, Joseph's tomb, and there's soldiers there, and they go, it's kind of late. What are you guys doing here? And I said, oh, well, we're backpacking. And they said, well, uh, you'll have to come back tomorrow. We're closing. He said, all right, we'll just go camp in the woods. And they looked at us, and they go, not in this area you won't. You can't camp in the woods here. And they said, well, we're backpacking. We can't afford a hotel. We're not going anywhere else. And so the soldiers agreed and decided to lock us in the tomb compound for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know when you're backpacking it gets dark you go to sleep when the sun comes up you wake up so we roll out our sleeping bags and and we're uh kind of just looking at the stars enjoying the evening and almost falling asleep and suddenly i i hear a jeep coming and i'm thinking oh and we were down in some stairs kind of like a stairwell i looked over and it's an israeli army jeep and i said oh they're coming to check on us Oh, no. So I I am waving my arms, you know, hey, we're okay. And uh, four guys jump out of the Jeep, and suddenly I have guns pointed at me from several different directions. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. And so I told my friend, I said, put your passport up here on this ledge and just stay down there. And I put my arms up, and I walked out carrying our passports. And they're hollering at me, and they're going, do you, do you speak Hebrew? And I didn't at all. And I'm like, no. And they're going, Arabi, Arabi. And I'm going, no. And I said, English? And they're going, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, we're we're kind of like at an impasse. And I'm, I'm, you know, they're all, they've got me surrounded and they got their guns pointed at me. And, and finally, one of them looks at me and he goes, Ford Carter, Ford Carter. At that particular time, Ford was very pro-Israel. Carter was anti-Israel. Oh. <laughs> and so depending upon who you were, if, of course, if you were uh, in an Arab neighborhood, hey, Carter's a great guy. If you're in an Israeli neighborhood, you know, Ford's, Ford's a great a good guy. guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so knowing where I was and knowing it was the Israeli army, I said, oh, Ford. And they go, oh, okay. And they all drop their guns. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so... Then the next thing I know, they go get up. So it's getting late now. It's midnight. And they go get an interpreter uh, from the police in Shechem, Nablus. And they, they said, okay, these guys had no idea you were here. What are you doing here? And I said, well, the, the day shift locked us in here. And they go, well, you have to come out. Oh, man. And we said, well, we don't, we don't know how to get out of here. We're locked in. And they said, well, we don't have a key. The only people that have a key are the day shifts. I said, so leave us here. Let us go to sleep. And they're like, no, we have to take you to a hotel. And I said, we can't afford a hotel. That's why we're camping. Yeah. And so the police then brought ladders 
foot ladders over the wall. Now it's two o'clock in the morning and they're taking us out of there. Oh man. So we climb over the ladders. They take us to probably the cheapest, dirtiest hotel I've ever been in my life. Oh man. Um, and I, I think it cost us five bucks a piece for the night, <laughs> but, uh, it, it was, that was pretty crazy. I don't know of anybody else that slept in Joseph's tomb, <laughs> except Joseph, of course. It's a, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and is that, is that particular area that is now in, it's, it's uh, in Gaza now, right? Known in the, well, not Gaza, no. Gaza is the other side of the country. This is the West Bank area. Oh, okay. It's a part of Samaria. And it's a, a heavily Arab populated area. So there is military, Israeli military presence, but it's not a place you go for a holiday or vacation right. or something, you know? Wow. So, but, but you know, I'm, I'm like 20 something and I'm backpacking and I don't know any better. I'm just, we're just having fun. Sure. And we, we wanted to go see all the Bible sites. We wanted to see Joseph's tomb. We wanted to see Jacob's well. We wanted to see Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and we did. But we just ended up with a little bit of an unusual circumstance, and the Lord protected us and saw through it all. And so you were a believer at this time? Yeah. Life. Yes, I was. Oh, how cool. And uh, that's why I wanted to go. It's like I wanted to, I wanted to see the land of the Bible. I wanted to walk where Jesus walked. And it was, it was... So we spent six weeks there backpacking. And, of course, you make your plans. We're going this way, then we're going that way. And uh, after the second day, our plans were out the window. It's like, get up, you read the word. Where are we going today, Lord? What do you want us to do today, Lord? And it was amazing. It was probably the most impactful, amazing trip of my life. I would have to agree with that. I I think one of the things that struck me, uh, it, you know, I had never really been outside of uh, America yeah. before. I've you know I have traveled here and there within the states, but I think you know going there and seeing just how old everything is yeah. Yeah. Um, blew my mind. Yeah, um, there's so much history, you know. Everywhere, though. Just it's, everywhere it's, Everywhere you look. Yeah, it's not like, oh, yeah, 50 miles from here, there's a spot where David was. It's like right here. Jesus was here. Yeah. David was here. Solomon was here. Hezekiah was here. And you can't turn around fast enough to see it all. I know. Yeah, that's the big bummers. It just seems like, you know, aside from living there, how would you, you know, get to see it all? Yeah. Other than maybe going 50-plus times. <laughs> You know? Well, and I still haven't seen it all. I'm always looking for new things. And here's what's cool. I'm always finding new things. Plus, archaeology is always coming up with a lot of brand new things. Yeah, what's the newest or um, I guess one of the more impactful or interesting things that lately? Well, lately, a kid found a whole jar full of coins from several thousand years ago. And, and you know, it's just people not even always an archaeological team going out. If you go to build a house, you've got to have an archaeological team come over and check it out while you're digging your foundation so they make sure you're not digging up history or covering up history or something. Wow. <clears throat> Matter of fact, the guy in um, Beersheba, 
uh, not Beersheba, I'm sorry, um, Betshan, the place where they hung Saul's head. Uh, a guy over there was, um, later on there was a Roman city there known as Scythopolis, but a guy's over there and he's going to dig a basement for his house. And he starts to dig and he hits a stone. The archaeologists come and check it out. They end up removing his house and several others because they found an arena, a Roman oh, arena. Goodness. And the thing's like three or four blocks big. Oh, man. What are you going to do? You're going to, they're going to claim eminent domain and, and dig up the arena. Now what, what happens in a situation like that? I mean, does the government pay for well, you? Well, to... the government, the government will help move people and, and find them a new place to live. But this is a major find. It was a big deal. Yeah. And and probably my favorite finds are, I, I love how God kind of waits till people, the critics will make fun of something in the Bible. Like, who's Pontius Pilate? We've, we've never seen him anywhere outside of the Bible. Who's this Pilate guy? And then suddenly they dig up this big stone in Caesarea that says, uh, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, you know? Mm. And so it shuts the critics up. A few years later, they're saying, oh, who's David? I mean, we don't really know David outside of biblical history. And maybe he's just a little shepherd king. We don't know. Uh, why, didn't, why didn't anybody else write about him in history? And they're digging in Tel Dan one summer. I think it was uh, 97 or 98, something like that. And they come up with what they call the David Stella. And this enemy king writes about how he destroyed the house of David, the lineage of David. So to have a um, lineage like that, to have a uh, long-term, you know, monarchy like that is a big deal, and it shut the critics up again. And so constantly things are being found that continue to prove the Bible is real, is the truth, and that's fascinating. I, I can't imagine being a non-believer and going there and not being you know, impacted um, in some way. I think it affects everybody. Yes, definitely. It's not like any other place in the world. I've run into so many people, even when we were hitchhiking, people would go, you know, I've hitchhiked everywhere, but there's nothing like this. There's something different here. There's something that, that feels different. This is not like anywhere else. And they're right. Yeah. You feel it when you get off the plane. It's a, it's a, it is a, I, I one do. of those things like that I'm you can't. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a real interesting feeling, you know, just arriving there, and and um, the only thing I can think to describe is is like a welcoming, like like someone's uh, yeah. kind of inviting you into their home. It's it's a, it's yeah. really different. I, yeah, and I think as as believers, it's our spiritual home, and so we know we're welcome there. But the culture, too, is very open. I mean, I've had, um, when I was backpacking, I got invited in places for dinner, you know, with families. And I met families there. I got to be good friends with a couple of families. and actually went over for their kids' weddings and things like that. So very open culture, very friendly for the most part. Yeah. Well, what types of food are there to eat over there? Well, and, and everybody is, you know, kind of apprehensive about that sometimes. What do we eat? Are they what we have here? In the beginning, no. They eat uh they eat very healthy, a Mediterranean kind of diet, lots of salads, and kind of a variety of salads 
we were actually up at a moshav in the northern part of Israel. This guy said, I'm taking you to dinner. And, uh, and he said, we're having salad tonight. And I thought, okay, you know, you, you imagine this little dinner salad. And he starts ordering, and they bring out all these different bowls. We have 30 different kinds of salad. There's salad made out of garbanzo beans, and then they make hummus out of garbanzo beans. And you have kahina, which is sesame seed, and they have uh, just a variety of things, so many different kinds of salads. And, of course, always good pita bread, and, and you uh, make a meal of it. It was wonderful. And then today, there's every kind of restaurant you can imagine. McDonald's moved in there, and there's a somebody in Israel started a hamburger stand called McDavid's. And McDonald's sued them to say McDonald's lost because McDavid was there before McDonald was, and McDonald doesn't have any right to sue an Israeli company. So they're back in the land now, and they're they're okay. They're doing good. Here's the funny question thing: most of them are kosher, so that means no meat, no dairy. So don't order a cheeseburger; it's not going to happen. Yeah, no cheeseburger. We got we got a. You want a you want a hamburger? Come in here. We'll give you a hamburger, but no cheeseburger. It's funny when uh, I I you know I mentioned my grandmother uh, being a little nervous about me going. Well, the very first thing, you know, uh, my grand out of my grandpa's mouth because he had gone um, years before me, and he said he pulls me aside and I thought he was going to tell me something, you know, really profound or you know like make sure you don't you know do this or or yeah. uh, you make yeah. sure you don't go here. He tells me. When you're in Jerusalem, on Ben Yudah Street, and then he tells me about this uh, uh, ice cream place, and he's like, "You got to try their ice cream; it's so good." <laughs> just, uh, I was like, "Grandpa, yeah. yeah, that 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 makes sense that you would pull me aside just so to tell did me you about." Go? I, I did. I think we found it. Uh, <laughs> someone else had Wonderful. actually recommended it to us, and we wound up uh, checking it out. It was it was good. Yeah. It was good yeah. ice cream. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of really good places to eat. I'll, I'll tell you one thing: you'll never get good there though what's that mexican food they can't do it <laughs> i wonder why nobody, nobody can do mexican food well first of all yellow cheese nobody has yellow cheese but us you know pretty much oh really and and uh, the beans the refried beans tortillas that's uh you, you get a you get a pita bread i mean <laughs> The closest you're going to come. Wow. Falafel, but like there are, taco. Uh, I, you know, I was just talking uh, with a mutual friend, Joe, and he said uh, yeah. that um, he was mentioning that there are a lot of Jews from Mexico in yes. Israel. Um, you would think that they would get around to opening, or is it just a, a well, matter of sourcing actually, the right Yeah, I products? think sourcing is the big problem okay. because I, I've been to three different Mexican restaurants. They were all very short-lived. None mm. of them lasted a, a year. And it's because they, they can't get the product. Yeah. It's, the or it's too expensive. And everything else is prohibitive. Yeah. If you're working with what you got locally, you don't have the right cheese. You don't have the right beans. You don't have the right tortillas. So, mm. Well, um, being, so being in Southern California, I guess, you know, we're, we're spoiled <laughs> yeah. here. We are. So you eat what they have there, and as soon as you land, yeah. when you come home, you go to Del Taco or something. So, you know? I, I think we yeah. went to uh, In-N-Out. I think that was the first yeah, okay. place we yeah. went. You want something that, that matches your palate and yeah. your texture and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although I couldn't I couldn't complain about the uh, 
the food over there. I, I became, oh, I came, no. I came back and I, I think I drugged my wife all over town trying to find a decent falafel and somewhere, yeah. to, somewhere to find. I, I wanted her to, to, you know, cause I had, that was the very first time I'd ever had right. uh, Mediterranean food. And I, I came back just going on and on about it. And I think, uh, unfortunately the, the only thing that was, um, around back then was, uh, was Daphne's and that's a, you know, <laughs> not bad on Daphne's, but it's yeah, just, and that wasn't not, that yeah, close. It's just yeah. not the same. Well, it's, it's the same thing as trying to make Mexican food in Israel. It's like making Middle Eastern food over here. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and uh, people make an attempt, but if you know better, yeah, it's like, ah, uh, it doesn't quite do it. That's yeah. It's really. And so you go on this search and it's getting better. There's some good Mediterranean restaurants now, but Yes. Boy, a few years ago, it's like, well, I guess I got to wait till I get back to Israel. Got to wait, yeah. You know, and and with that, I mean, have you, with everything going on this year with COVID, have, were you able to go this year? or? I was there in February with a group from Idaho. I had a trip planned in April that got canceled. had a trip can, uh, planned in uh, June and that got canceled and I had a trip planned in October and that got canceled. So yeah, I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get back. <clears throat> I, I want to, I want to go back there. I want to encourage people to go there. I, I, I want to, I've taken a few slideshows and, and made little, um, things out of them so people can kind of get a view of the country and see what it looks like and see how beautiful it is. Very, very much like Southern It's, it's hard to put in a picture. Yeah, it is. What's the best time in the year to go over there? Well, I think the best time is usually spring, except for the fact that you have to be aware of holidays and things like that. So in spring, you end up with Easter and Passover coming at the same time. And oh, it's right. high, high tourist season, hard to find rooms, and they're very expensive. Right. So February's a little better. It could be raining a little bit like here. The temperate zone is the same as California. Um, and then, um, you know, after the holidays, April, end of April, May, you're okay. June starts getting hot, but just like here in California, July and August and early September are cookers and it gets, it's a desert land and you don't want to go then. Yeah. So October comes and then you've got high holidays again, Yom Kippur and, and Rosh Hashanah and the days of awe and feast of trumpets. So you wait again and you can, November is pretty good. A lot of people stay home for Thanksgiving, but December again, there's a rush to go to Bethlehem. So of course, yeah. And if you don't mind the rain and a little bit of cold, uh, it's not that cold and not that rainy. January's okay. So, have you have you, you been do. during those uh, yeah. high holidays? I have. I I I went for Passover once, and it was so crowded. And and the Christian sites are closed, and the Jewish sites are closed for the holidays. And it's like it's hard to get through the streets; uh, they're so crowded. There's so many people. There. And I thought I'm never going on a holiday again because. The price is so high, uh, yeah. and you can't get anywhere, and you can't see anything. So, unless you're there to see family and celebrate the holidays with family, it's it's really tough. And I, I've also been there in, in summer when it's really hot. You get on top of Masada, and it's 115. It's like, oh yeah, yep, seen it. 
Get yeah. me down out of here. I Put know. Back on an air conditioned bus. I know. We we were there in July, and uh, yeah, that Too was hot. it. Was pretty rough. I mean, as as interesting as that site is it was um i think 119 or 118 that day it was just really yeah. really difficult and it's just too hard to enjoy it it's like i i don't know i gotta keep from dehydrating yeah. and i'm trying to pay attention to what's going on but boy, i don't feel good out here it's yeah way too hot. <laughs> you're just kind of kind of cooking um yeah so what would you you had mentioned uh you know the cost what would be yes. your advice um to someone who, you know, maybe, I, I know you've already mentioned it, you know, ask, you know, ask the Lord, but, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of people's minds, it, they, they think, oh man, I can, I know I had that same, that same um, thought and the circumstances in which I got to go was pretty, I, I can only say yeah. it was a God thing that, that I was able to go. Well, I have to tell you, every time I've gone, it's been a God thing. Okay. The first time I went, I had a Coke machine and a and a reel-to-reel tape recorder, and I sold them both, and, and God opened the door for me to get a ticket. Oh, wow. But if, if you're praying and asking the Lord, He's the one that opens the doors. I, I would say probably for the first time, you might want to go with a tour group, because uh, they'll give you an, a layout, an overview of the land. You'll get to see a lot of stuff in a little time. And you'll be with somebody that's very knowledgeable of the country. Um, the backpacking is really fun. The hiking trails are great there. Um, and the cost, here's the thing. You can get a cheap tour. I always try to put together what I call an all-inclusive tour. And by all-inclusive, that means airfare, ground transportation, hotels, meals, taxes, tips, entrance fees to parks, monuments, and museums. Uh, and it may seem a little more expensive, but if you go with like, here's uh, so-and-so's tour and they will get you over there for $2,500. You great. And you get there and, and they go, Oh, by the way, the bus is going to cost you another $20 a day. And by the way, meals aren't included. By the way, the ticket to get in this place is $15. And by the time they finish nickel and diamond you, it's, it's a lot more than the all inclusive tour would have cost. The thing about the all-inclusive tour, if you go with a good company, too, uh, if you consider the cost, because you're getting things discount because the company does this regularly and they put together a volume deal for the tourist. And if you figure, like some of the ones we take, I think lately the trip's been costing around four grand. But if you consider, if you went and did the same things all by yourself, it would cost you at least eight grand to do the same thing. Wow. So yeah, wow. it does make a difference. Plus I think the experience too, from a, a Christian's perspective is a lot more deep than just going as a secular tourist just to kind of, you know. Yeah. It's cheaper than Bible college. It will change your life guaranteed and you'll never be the same. It is so, so worth it. So, so that, like you said, the first thing, get on your knees, ask the Lord. A lot of people again say, I don't, I don't ask because I, I can never afford it. You know what? You probably can't, but God can. He owns cattle on a thousand hill and maybe he'll sell one and take you to Israel. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. Cool. <laughs> but he, he does that. He opens doors. I, I've had testimonial times with people. How did you get on this trip? Well, 
you know, my aunt left me an inheritance. I'm coming to Israel. Or I, I got my taxes back this year, and boy, it was more than I expected. I'm going to Israel. Or, uh, you know, my grandma gave me a graduation present, and, and it paid more than half my trip, and I'm going to Israel. But incredible stories about how people got there because God does provide. Yeah. And opens that door. Yeah, and it is definitely something that, that, that is life-changing, um, for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Very cool. Well, Bob, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, you know, talk with us today and sharing about your experience in Israel. Is there anything you'd like to leave with the listeners? And, and real quick, how, you know, if they are interested, um, in going on a, on a trip, I don't know with everything COVID related that's going on. If you have any idea when we're still planning trips in the future, I have one. I have one planned for uh, um, uh, spring of this coming year of 2021. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, and and we're hopeful that by then everything will be opening up again, and uh, there'll be several different trips going. And um, Israel's hungry for tourism again, of course. Can only imagine. Again, it's it's their main it's their main income, so they want us to come back. But thank you so much for allowing me to come and share with you. I'm always excited to talk about Israel. It's a special place in my heart, and uh, I've seen the change it makes in people's lives, and I'm always excited to see that change. So keep praying. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem, like we're commanded in Psalm 122.6, and uh, uh, watch God work. Watch God work in your life. Watch God work in that nation. Awesome. Thanks again to Pastor Bob Probert with uh, Packing House of Redlands. Check their church out um, on, online. Um, I'll have the um, address in the show notes, and I'll actually put a link in there for for your email in case anyone wants to get a hold of you and, and hear more about the, um, the trips you do to Israel. Great. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. Tune in next week for another episode of... Oh, my dears.